You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien, brought to you by Joe. Hello, welcome to the very latest Unfiltered, which is arguably the most important one so far, because as I'm sure you've noticed, transgender issues have assumed a new prominence in in the British media that is, is rather hard to understand. My own theory, sadly, is that as a, as a former tabloid show business journalist, I, I, I think I speak the lingo. Um, they've become the section of society that it's okay to criticise, lampoon, mock, uh, denigrate, uh, undermine, and, and even accuse of um, somehow being fraudulent in their, in this case, gender. In previous generations, it would be sexuality. So um, you're about to meet Paris Lees, who's probably the most prominent transgender person in the country. She's certainly one of the most articulate and outspoken. But but the whole point of this, and I, I hope it works, I've only met her once before, is to introduce you to a trans person, because you've probably never met one before. If you have, I apologise. If you haven't, well, see how we get on. We didn't know when we set this up that by the time you sat here, you would have become the first transgender person to feature on the front cover of Vogue magazine. Well, I I knew that I was going to be in Vogue. On Vogue, not just in Vogue. No, people are saying it's the cover, but it was actually um, a very nice double-page spread. Oh, is it not the cover? I'm not correcting people. (laughs) Everyone on Twitter is like, she's the first on the cover. And it's like, if if that's what you want to think, I'm not going to disabuse you of that. How did it happen? How did that come about? Um, Well, I'm very grateful, actually, to uh, Olivia Marks, who is the commissioning editor. Um, And... She was aware of my work because she used to work at Vice and I used to read my columns there. Um, but also really grateful to Edward as well because obviously he's got the ultimate sign-off. The, sign new, off the new editor. Yeah, and I mean, when he came in as editor, I was genuinely excited about what that meant in terms of the direction of the magazine and diversity. Because can I just say, you know, okay, I'm a lefty, but I that doesn't mean that I don't, you know, support aspirational lifestyle brands. Like, I, I think that's fine to have something to kind of reach towards, you know, that very glamorous, high-end. Um, I, I, I think it's it's it's. As, as long as everyone's got enough money, it shouldn't matter what people with lots of money choose to spend well, their money. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> as long as we've all got enough that, that we, you know, we, we, we're not wanting for anything. But um, I, I, you know, I think there's something about the magic and the glamour of that brand that's absolutely fantastic. Um, so it's, it's not that we want to get, get rid of that heritage, you know, do away with that but actually let's open it up a bit and make it a bit more diverse and he came in promising to do that and uh, I, I had no idea that I'd be part of the uh, part of the story what did you think when you say. got the call how did the call work because I'm only I'm asking you because on Twitter your excitement was unconfined it was so clear how much this meant to you for reasons yeah. that will become clearer to people listening as we as we move into the interview proper but but how, how did you feel I mean how did the call does it come someone rings up and you don't believe them or well obviously I'd love to play it cool you know? <laughs> um, I mean it was just you know you, you, you oh, okay I'll you, squeeze you in on Wednesday I'll squeeze you in on Wednesday Vogue. I mean honestly I'd not long split up with my boyfriend actually when I got the call and I was like I think this might just be the thing, actually, to kind of help me get over this breakup. Yes, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not going to lie; it's highly validating, right? I mean, yeah. what uh, what better way to start the year off than in the uh, glossy glossy folds of of Vogue? Um, but I mean, I had a pretty tough year last year in my personal life, and I think I 
had a little bit of a dip professionally, okay. actually, and a bit of a, a mental health dip, yes. actually. And I'm just in a really, really, really good place at the moment. And I've I, I've just got a feeling I'm going to have a really good year. Well, I've decided I'm going to have a good year. And I've kicked it off as I mean to go on. Oh, really? really? So. I, absolutely. I mean, that, that line, the people, people at school told me I'd never be a girl, would never be pretty enough, would never be accepted. Well, here I am being celebrated as a woman. You didn't add... In vogue. In vogue. In vogue. And, you know, I remember, and my friend remembered the conversation, actually. Um, we were walking home uh, from a night out. I think we must have been like 16 or 17, you know, because we used to sneak into the pub. Um, and uh, we just bought cigarettes at the, at the garage. And uh, some, some people had abused us and said, you know, you effing trannies or, you know, your men or something mm. like that. This is this is my uh, friend Steffi in Nottingham, uh, best friend, uh transgender woman of colour and we were saying you know one day I want to do this one day I want you know when you're young you yeah, think when course. I grow up I'm going to do this and this was can I just say before you know the, the, you know, like the past five years yes. the, the, you know pe- people are doing things now but at that point there weren't any you might as you well know, have wanted to land on Mars you may as well have wanted to land on Mars and I remember saying to her I want to be you know like the first transgender woman on the cover of Vogue or something, you know? And obviously it's not the cover, but, you know, we're getting there, aren't we? But, um, you know, we we live in a world now where uh, when I was growing up, the only time you ever saw trans people in the media, and it was rarely, but only then it was, you know, as objects of ridicule, Mm. pity, disgust. Um, And we don't live in that world now. You know, I'm not saying that things are perfect, but trans people are invited onto news shows to comment on Brexit, Mm. you know. Um, You've been on Question Time yourself. I've been on Question Time uh, twice, yeah. Um, You know, trans people do win awards, you know, appear in my, you know, we are increasingly getting respect and saying, no, we will be treated with respect and we will participate fully in this thing, you know, called life. And I think that a lot of people feel like, oh, you know, trans people are everywhere now. And it's like, well, we were always there, but we were actively excluded. Well, it's with the progress and the respect comes the new level of scrutiny, which is... which is. Well, th- that's a very good point, James, because it's like when we were pushing for transgender awareness, you know, like five years ago, I mean, people have been pushing for decades, you mm. know, but, uh, well, actually, that's not true. For many years, people just wanted to keep their heads down, actually. But when, when we pushed for awareness, um, that was meant to, like, help us not actually, you know, make more people, you know, hostile towards us. You could become. Yeah. So in many ways, I think we've seen like a really, really nasty backlash and particularly with the Gender Recognition Act, because when that passed in 2004, it passed with barely a comment in Mm. the press. And it's, it's very hard to explain now because things are so different, but it was almost like the only time we saw a trans person then, we were just the butt of a joke. You know, we were like an Aunt Sally, you throw custard pies at us. Um, and I think something like this, like something sensible coming in, you know, to, to, to you know, make trans people's lives easier. It didn't fit the existing media narrative. So they didn't go near it. So they didn't go near didn't it. Because it's like, well, it. how do we cover this? Because this doesn't, like, you know, a transgender person, is you just point and laugh at them. And this doesn't fit into that. And I think that now we've gone the complete opposite way, where they're proposing some very sensible changes 
changes to this legislation and you would literally think it's a second coming. I mean, people the, are having kittens all over the people place. People are having kittens and it's like, you know, it's it's like the the, the biggest thing other than Brexit. Yes. It's it like, seems to be in the news. We're, we're, we've begun at the end, deliberately. We've, be, we've begun at the end. Sorry, I'm very go. passionate about this. You story. clearly are and I promise you that we will, um, we, will, we will explore that passion before we say goodbye to each other. But let's begin at the beginning. Let's begin long before you even met Steffi and, uh, and, and started painting Nottingham Red together. You, you, you were born a boy in um, a uh, family in Nottinghamshire that you have described in the past. You've described your dad as being a bit homophobic. So I'm going to say old-fashioned. Yeah, yeah. Old-fashioned working-class home. My, I mean, I'm from a council estate. My dad was a builder, worked the doors on the uh, local pub where I grew up. He was, you know, like the, the, the hard man basically in the in the little ex mining town that I grew up with that basically got shut down yes. uh, with the uh, with shut. the coal mines in the eighties. Mm. Um, so you know, just uh, common as muck, really. Pot noodle for tea on Friday nights, um, uh, coal for Christmas, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> But I mean, yeah, I mean, where I come from, I mean, is is you know the TV show Shameless. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's so pretty uh, rough. Yeah, but I think it, I think it's fair fair to say. But you know, good, but you were loved as a good, child. Good, honest people. I mean, I was I was loved, but I think that um, and I yeah, and I absolutely did have love, and I think that's why I'm sitting here today, and um, I had great people around me. But I think that I think it's fair to say that my parents didn't know how to support a child like me. At what point did you become a child like you? When did it emerge? When would your parents have registered the fact that you were perhaps a little bit different from all their friends' children? Well, I mean, from the from the earliest memory, really. I mean, one of my, I hate it because it's so cliche, but one of my earliest memories was sitting on a park bench with a girl who's a bit older than me. And um, I was saying, I'm a girl. And I just remember going, her, her saying, uh, ah, have you heard what he said? Uh, and there were the, these lads on uh, the swings going, what, what, what? And she said, he said he's a girl. And that was the first time, really, that I was like, oh, OK. So the way I see myself is not necessarily how uh, other people see how, me. How old would you have been then, Paris? Um I'd have been uh, four. And would yeah. you already have said at home that you were a girl and, and they'd have just gone, oh, she'll get over it? Well, I did, he'll yeah. Get, he'll get over it, of course. Yeah, well, I did, I did. But presumably you'd you'd had these conversations at home already. You'd said to your parents that you were a girl and they'd just told you that you'd soon grow out of it or no, get I, over I, yourself? I think that was the first time I think I remember, because I, I distinctly remember kind of like running up the street and thinking, oh, God, am I in trouble when I get home kind of thing. But, yeah, pretty much from like the early stage, it was just like, I'm a girl, I want to be a girl, and it... I just knew, and you speak to so many trans people, and they just tell you the same thing. It just—I mean, I can't really explain it. I just felt like I was a girl, whatever that means, um, and that—that—that that, that just felt right for me. And I never, ever, ever, ever felt like I should have been a boy. Um, this is this is the point. This is the disconnect between people like you and people like me, isn't it? Because I can listen to you and believe you and trust you, but I might as well try to imagine what it's like. Growing up black. Yeah. Well, the the thing is as well, because, you see, what I see people doing is, that, and, and we all do this as human beings, don't we? We try and frame something in a way that we can understand. Yes. You know, so, so people will go, you know, women, for instance, may go, well, I was a tomboy, you know, and I, I like playing with trucks. Yes. Yeah, so, so it's like that, isn't it? And it's like, 
no, it's 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 not that. And it's it's like trying to it's like trying to explain grief to someone who hasn't experienced grief yes. or falling in love or yes. going through puberty. You know, these concepts that we, we're introduced to before we've experienced them and we think we've got them. Mm. And unless you can actually feel it and just on a really, you know, like a, a really silly example, my cat died last year mm. and uh, I've never lost a pet before because she was my first pet. Yeah. And I just used to sort of laugh, yeah. you know, like, you know, people were upset. I was like, it's just a dog, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. And then my cat died and I was like, oh, right, okay. So I I see now that I've been really unsympathetic. It really is a hole in my I've life. I've never experienced it. Uh, yeah. And I do actually think that this is a really integral, um, well, it, it's a real, like a tripping point because I don't know how, I, you know, I've tried my best to kind of help people to understand and empathise, but I don't know how I can make you understand it. All I can ask is you know, for you to take my word for it. Yes. Well, this is the point. I mean, either I'm not someone you need to persuade. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll talk more about the people who do need persuading. But it's like sexuality. It is... I mean, I, I, when I was not enjoying a greater deal of romantic success in my late teens... and, and I was Surely not. Living, yes. I know. It's hard to believe. I was living with a couple of gay lads in Manchester and I'd go clubbing with them. And it was clear that if I could just be gay, I'd be getting laid every night. But it just, right. I just couldn't do it. It was just never going to happen. And you could, you, you could yeah. you, you spend your whole life trying, to, but it was just never going to be. Yeah. And that's how you were as a, yeah. as a boy. You could have tried to be a boy, and you had the boys' bits, but you yeah. just could never be a boy. And I that, had the perfect disguise for it. Frankly, <laughs> it's a perfect camouflage. Every, everything was there. You um, know? And so you got home, uh, and 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 then it all kind of began. Presumably, you, when did you start? Uh, identifying when did you start I should also say that I, I'm not comfortable in the vocabulary of these conversations I'm not fully comfortable I'm more enlightened than a lot of people in the British media but I'm by far the finished far from the finished article very much a work in progress so anything I say incorrectly you must pull me up on it and, and tell me what I'm getting wrong but but when did you seek to start living as a as a girl not for a long time you, you, your childhood must have been Difficult. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, I used to go to school in my sister's tights and, uh, you know, use the girls' toilets or try to, uh, you know, ask people to refer to me as a girl. And I must have been, oh, gosh, maybe seven, eight or something at, at that point. Um, my uh, family on the theme, my mum's side, my, my grandma, my auntie would let me have dolls and Polly Pockets, things like that. But they were still thinking you were going to grow out of it. Yeah, it? yeah, it was just, yeah, so this is the thing. It was never, you know, you were. it was just, you know, you were a boy and that's fine. You can play with girls' stuff. We don't have a problem with that. Um, but when I started going to school, you know, wearing leggings and things like that and stuff, um, they, they took me to the doctor and the doctor suggested that I uh, go to see a child psychiatrist. My parents never actually followed up on that because... I think that they were worried that maybe they may say, you know, no. uh, there's something wrong with him, or, or I, I don't know. I think it was just it was just too much for them, and um, and and so I suppressed that, and I I got the message that it was you cannot do this. You are a boy. You have a willy. That's it. Mm. And, and you know, that, that it's literally just not an option. And um, you know, you, you'd have been. <laughs> More likely to have seen an alien walking down my high street yes. than 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 a trans person. It was ju it was just not an option, you know. So when I got to kind of like 
10, 11, 12. Just you know, before that, what did it feel? How did it feel different to go to school in your sister's tights? Just in terms of, just to try to describe the feelings to me, the difference between going to school in a boy's uniform and going to school wearing girls' clothes. It just felt great. It just felt really good. And, you know, when, you, when you're when you a child, you, you're quite androgynous anyway, right? Um, and I just, I can't, it's not so much the clothes because, you know, the clothes don't make the man. Or the no, woman, I, I appreciate you know. that. Um, but it's, it's about what the clothes say about us. Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, you know, you're here, you're wearing a shirt, you're wearing, you know, these are choices that we make. We, we all make gender choices about the clothes that we wear to reflect who we are mm. and our background, our social, you know, all these, you know, you've got a, a button open because this is casual, mm. you know. We're, we're all kind of, you know. It's a language, isn't it? It's a language, free yeah. Free to speak. It's, it's a form of expression, um, you know, and, it, and it's giving people information about us, you know, consciously or unconsciously. We're, we're all doing that every Every single day and I, I can't say it's when I just felt happy and knowing that I was walking down the street and thinking that the cars that were passing me and the people that were passing me as I was walking to school were thinking oh that's a that's a girl walking to school I don't know why I can't explain it I don't know if it's science I don't know if it's nature nurture I don't know if it's a mental thing if it's physical it, it doesn't really matter I just know that I'm happier like it's this you. I just know that I'm happier expressing myself sitting here now and, and, and this is how I feel happier. I feel happier when people call me she. I feel happier, uh, you know, speaking, you know, w w w however you want to quantify it, I am just happier like this. And this is the point that parents make to me as a, when I'm in, in my other life as a phone-in host. And this, for me, was the penny drop moment because perhaps I, I could have been a little bit um, slow on the uptake, a little bit sceptical, a little bit cynical. But when a parent describes to you the change in their child... Mm, yeah. when they just stop trying to prevent yeah. their son from wearing dresses, growing his hair, their daughter from wearing trousers, playing. There is a, and it's not just about the choice of playthings and the choice of playmates. It's something mm. fundamental and intrinsic. Yeah. And the, the easiest way for people like me to, to, to come to a better understanding is to listen to the parents describing mm. the happiness that you've just described, but you yeah. did, didn't ever get that from your parents. Well, you know, there's so many discussions around trans stuff. It gets bogged down in science. Let's keep talking or... about you. Let's just keep... So there you are. You're nine, nine or ten years old. You've you've lived as a boy, albeit with curious hosiery habits. <laughs> um, but as puberty approaches, everything becomes rather more urgent, presumably, whether yeah. you realise it or not. Well, yeah. So I get to, I get to sort of like a, 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 10, 11, 12... And I think you become a bit more self-conscious, don't you? Um, I think you play a bit more freely when you're a little, little child. Mm. And um, then you start to get a bit more of an awareness of the world around you. And it's like, oh, God, right, OK, uh, this is really taboo. I can't, you know, I can't, I've got to be a boy. Right. Like, this is, you've broken, like, some massive, massive social, you just, you just can't And this it. is a private experience. Yes, you yeah. really dealing with reality on, yeah. alone. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the, the, the and this is what makes me laugh about this whole, you know, kids are being pressured into being... Jumping ahead again. Trans. I want to talk about you. I don't want to talk uh, about anyone else. Okay. So there you are, dealing with it, recognising secondary school is going to be a coach and horses through any sense of stability that you've managed to achieve in your own head. Um, and that that's what's on the agenda. So everything begins to change. You, you try to, to live one way, and then the moment comes when you realise that you can't. Yeah, so um, 
I don't know what it was really, but I think there was just this huge shame and uh, just a realisation that just like that, that was not, you know, and it was, it was basically going to be hell for me if, if, if I expressed that side of myself. And I tried to be a boy because I just thought, well, that's it. That's all you've got, you know. And um, I think I always sort of knew that I liked boys, but obviously this is, you know, just before puberty. So you're not really thinking along those lines. And I tried to conform, you know, and uh, my dad would take me to football. Can you believe? Um, I think I went for boxing lessons. I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely did. I could, I could, you know, knock you out if, yeah. if need be. It's not a, it's um, not hard. It's not a great <laughs> achievement. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, my dad was a boxer, you know, and I think that my family were trying to help me, you know, because I, I would get picked on, and you know, it's, if anybody whacks you. You whack them back. You get picked on for being a sissy in the, lang- in the language of the time. Yeah, you get you get well. You get picked on for being a pufter, yeah. a girly, girly, you know, whatever. And I think that I mean, for me, the, the, the thought of having to fight boys was just terrifying. You know, I'd rather run away. Mm. Um, but I think that my family could see that I was really vulnerable and wanted me to have some sort of protection. You know, because I went to a state comprehensive, was quite rough at the time. Uh, to be honest, um, we were all quite naughty. I was quite naughty. I was a bit of a talker, James. No shit. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I think that my my dad was probably just like, God, I've got this really. He's trying to help you in the only ways he understood. Yeah, it was, it's the it's the only way that 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 he understood. You know that, but he understood that I was vulnerable, and he wanted to equip me yeah. how to deal with that because the world is is a nasty, rough place, and it can be very dog eat dog, especially at a school like that. You know, kids can be really can be really mean, but it just wasn't for me. It ne- I just never. It just it just didn't feel right it was just it would be like me asking you to put on makeup now make yourself look pretty it mm. would it, it, well, maybe you'd have a laugh I don't know but I'm assuming that would make you feel uncomfortable right if I asked you to well, put on a beyond uncomfortable it would make me feel alien but but you know the the people that say that you know kids like me should just accept the gender we were born into or, or our physical sex or whatever um you, you know, would but if we applied that logic to you, I could say, well, it's just clothes. Why why would it make you uncomfortable? Or it would be perhaps more powerfully. Um, it'd be like asking a straight man to get into bed with another bloke, wouldn't it? Um, well, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I guess so. In terms of what you intrinsically are, you can't just pretend that I mean, that's not. quite full on, isn't it? Sleeping yeah. with somebody. But even just sitting there wearing... Women's clothes, wouldn't that make you feel uncomfortable, James? Maybe not me, but if, if certainly if okay. I had to live my life in women's clothes, then yes, there'd be lots of circumstances in which it felt wrong to but me. how could you explain that? I couldn't. Exactly, it's it not... It feels right, it's, 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 yeah. it's the feels, it's, it's all it, in the feels. It's all in the feels, yeah, which is why it's it's such a hard argument to make if, if you kind of, you know, politicise it all. But I just felt very uncomfortable when I was, when I was you know, being coerced into being a boy, and it really was the... Was know, school was horrible, was it? Or, school was horrible. You know, I was bullied violently, and I mean, how violent? Sorry, but to resurrect it, but how? I mean, you get your head kicked in on a regular basis. Well, or? I mean, I often say, you know, if 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 I've had a bit of hard luck, well, you know, it's better than a kick in the teeth, and, and I've had a kick in the teeth. So you've been quite literal. Yeah, it? literally kicked in the teeth. You know, um, 
just the worst sort of violence. And um, for being a a puff. Yeah, for being a puffer. Yeah, for talking like a girl, for talking like a sissy. Um, And did you try to change the way you talk? Did you ever try to? Um, well, I didn't. I didn't. Duck the bullying, as it were. Well, because the, the thing is, I've I've literally always had a very feminine uh, way of expressing myself and talking. Um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember going to my friend's house. I must have been like twelve or something. I remember going to my friend's house, and I got a shaved head, <laughs> um, <laughs> like. Um, and um, my friend came down. My friend Rachel. And she said, my mum's just said, there's a girl with no hair at the door for you. Because I always like, hi, you know, and I always had this kind of sing-song voice. And people said, why do you talk like a girl? Why do and I said, I don't talk like a girl. I'm a boy and this is how I talk, yeah, you know. Talk so like me. I, I talk like me. Um, th- this is just how I talk. And uh, it, it, it's... I've lost my train of thought. Sorry. No, that's what, what right. were we saying? Just talking about the scale of the bullying. And oh, the, the scale of the bullying. Talking that about was... the pockets of happiness uh, at school. Oh, right. So how was it? So so did I try and conform? Yeah. So yeah, I did. I mean, I got I, I was bullied relentlessly, and I think that my friend Matt Kane, the author and uh, editor of Attitude Magazine, puts it so well because I interviewed him a few years ago when, when his book was out, and he said, you know, it's bullying is thrown around quite a lot these days, and you know, bullying is a really bad problem, but mm-hmm. you know, it's like anyone who's got called fat one. Yes. And obviously that's not very nice, but it's like it I don't really feel that that really covers the kind of no. universal rejection that I faced. It was, you know, people didn't want to sit next to me. People didn't want to eat dinner with me. People didn't want to walk home with me. I wasn't invited to parties, didn't go on school trips. It's it was, constant. Yeah, I mean, you are literally a pariah. You know, you are um you are completely dismissed and uh, we know that that is one of the most painful things that you can do to a human being is for, you know, even monkeys, primates that are sh- shunned by the tribe start to display signs of poor mental health. Like, we want to be included. We need to live in community with people. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. And for a child to grow up like that, you know, we know that LGBT people go on and have uh, high rates of addiction, mental health issues, it can cause lifelong effects. And I I felt excluded. I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like I was inferior. I felt like I was dirty, that I was wrong, that I was perverse. Could you uh, articulated it like that then? Is that, is it, could you, would you? No, obviously not, you know, but um, I, I knew that people didn't like me, basically, because of who I was, that I was wrong. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel safe. I never felt safe at school, never felt safe. Um, and then when I came home, I didn't feel safe because I'd often get a clip around the ear hole for talking like a pufter. Right. You know. And, and you'd be told that was why you were getting a clip around the ear hole. Yeah, yeah. So... What would your mum do in those circumstances? Well, my mum and dad didn't live together. Right. Um, my mum and dad split up when I was quite young. Um, and, you know, my mum was quite accepting. But again, she was horrified when I when I came home and I'd, I'd, I'd been wearing girls' clothes. So it was just... When was the first time you, you wore top to toe? I don't know, really. You no, know, it wasn't like know, some my... amazing Damascene moment where you just went, oh, my God. I was God, always I... dressing up as a girl. You like... just, just did in the same way. Yeah, that... I loved oh. Halloween because I could be a witch, you mm. know. It was just like, I'd always, and, and my auntie and stuff would say, oh, leave him, he's just playing, it's fine, the kids, they're exploring. So no one was pushing me into being a girl. No. Um, they just kind of let me get on with it. But, I mean, when I was at my dad's, it was very much a case of, you're not at your mother's now you know, um, and didn't I know it, yeah. right? But um, I, I don't know, really. It was just, um, 
it was it was yeah it was just I, I think Did that, you hate yourself when, when when everybody hates you do you start not liking yourself much because that, that that at this point in your life that doesn't seem to be part of who you are but I, th then. I think a lot of LGBT LGBT people grow up with self-loathing yeah and I think that you know com compare this to somebody from uh, an ethnic minority for instance because I, I come from a mixed race family so you know uh, my brother have, uh, walks through the world as, as as a mixed race young man, you know, but he has people in our family that have, you know, prepared him mm. for what the experience of racism may be like, yeah. you know, and I'm not saying that every single uh, person of colour has that experience, no, you know, because it is possible to experience racism within your own family. Yes, of course. Um, but if you if if you you know you're you come from a, a family of chinese descent or so you know th there might be an, another person in your family that can help prepare you for that very often as an lgbt person you may be the only lgbt person and if you're trans you almost certainly are the only trans person in your family and rather than your family being a source of support your family may be your biggest source of hostility. Yeah. So you're kind of getting it from all corners. And of course, you may be a person of colour and you're trans, you know. So so this is this is what we're talking about when we're talking about intersectional kind of feminism and, and, and realising that actually it's really complicated. People aren't just black or trans or gay. You know, they might have a lot of things going on. You know, my, my friend Steffi, I've, I've seen her called the N-word in the street. I've seen her called a bloke. You know, so her experience of being a trans woman is really different from mine. Yes. Um, and, you know, being a working class person, my experience is, is, is different. So this stuff's really complicated, but I didn't have the language to articulate it when right. I was a child. And, and that makes it harder. Which makes it harder. But I think that... You know, Matthew Todd, my, my friend, uh, had his great book out called Straight Jackets, How mm. to Be Gay and Happy, talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that LGBT people are more likely to suffer from mental health issues. And he talks about this growing up with this kind of toxic shame, because when a kid, when a kid does something wrong, right, you know, you, you put your hand in the fire, your mm. parents are like, no, don't do that. Yeah. And then you, you take your hand away from the fire and it's OK because your parents still love you, yeah. you know, because it's the behaviour that's yeah. wrong. Yeah. But if you are getting shouted at and told off because of the way that you hold your hand just just the way that you sit the way that you've got your hand and someone's telling yeah. you that's wrong why have you got your leg on your knee like that then you start to think I'm the problem yeah. you, you can stop putting your hand in a fire but you can't stop being yourself so yeah. you do start to internalise I am wrong there is something wrong with me I am fundamentally flawed and this can start at a really young age so it could be you know you do something quite flamboyantly and there's a raised eyebrow or there's an uncle that get, for you know we saw uh, uh lewis hamilton at christmas mm. uh did, mm. did an instagram story his nephew, yeah. showing his uh nephew wearing a princess dress really happy yeah. you know just having a bit of fun and saying you know basically shaming him making him feel ashamed now I thought it was a really horrible thing to do. And I recognise it because it's happened to me before. At a very young age, you are made to feel ashamed of who you are. And shame can have a really useful function if it stops people from doing bad things and hurting other people. It's 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 a way of stopping us from hurting ourselves. But if you're literally just shamed for who you are, that's toxic shame. And, and you've got no, no frame of reference either. All you've got is pain and confusion. You're just alone, confused 
and shamed. Well, I, I thought I was the only person in the world that was like me. And if you speak to a lot of, I mean, I, I, I do think that I'm the only person in the world that's like me. But, you know, you speak to trans people and they'll tell you the same thing. And of it's course. just the isolation. And, and there were no points of reference. There was nobody that you could point at and, and look at on the television and say, you know, that they're like me. And I think that's what was so great when Nadia came along. Um on Big Brother. On Big Brother, and I was a teenager and got addicted to Big Brother. And it was just like, she's, so she's, she's, she's one of those transsexuals and it's like, but she's not always talking. She's just a person and she's there and she's laughing and she's joking. And it's like, she, um, like, I thought I could do that. I could, if I, I could, you know, it's not impossible. Actually, I could change, and I could, I could still go to college, and I could, I could go to the supermarket, and I could meet my friends, and it would actually be okay, you know. And I'd never seen that before. Literally, had never seen. The only time I'd ever seen a trans person was really late night television, sitting in a hospital bed, hushed tones, kind of like, so, so you're going to cut your thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I just thought it was. I, I, I couldn't even imagine those people. I used to think, God, how did they even like? Because I thought, how did they even go and buy a pint of milk from the corner shop? Because it, it just, it was almost like it was illegal, yes, of course. you know, to, to be trans. Like, that was the level of shame. You know, it was almost like they were a, a, a paedophile or a, or a Nazi on the run yeah, or something. Yeah, like, it yeah. just, like, it like it wasn't okay to be trans. In any it? way, shape or form. And and what a turnaround, you know, to have where we are Nadia now. since? Yes, I have. have. You told her what, what an impact yeah, she totally. had. Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. She must she's, have done that to her. I wouldn't have realised at the time because I was living in my own little bubble. But that must have been quite a profound experience for a lot of trans people it was or, massive. Or, or future trans people is that i i, I think at the time you would have been identifying as a gay teenage boy yes yeah what was that like um well i mean it was it was it was it was fun for a bit um it was uh and i just thought you know because i was told you're a boy you've got to be a boy and then so obviously when the sexual feelings kick in and you think right okay i'm a boy and I like boys, right? Okay, so that means I'm gay. Mm. Okay, right, fine. So let's go on the gay scene and have fun. Um, but I, I never really felt like a gay boy. And I always used to wear makeup. Um, and at that point, obviously, I just thought it was impossible to be a girl. So I just thought, well, I, I ha I'm just one of those boys that likes dressing up, like Courtney Act. Mm. You know, I just thought, you know, well, some boys wear makeup. That's okay, I'll be one. So I just put makeup on and uh, and go out and people would always think that I was a girl, right? So I'm like, because I was, I was always quite tall. And um, I used to go out when I was like 14, 15. And I used to sneak into clubs and get away with it. And... Um, you know, wore makeup, but obviously looked very feminine because I was so young. Yes. And people thought I was a girl uh, or people couldn't tell. And people would say, are you, are you like, you know, and I, I got a kick out of that, you right. know, looking yeah. really androgynous. And people would say, you look very like glam rock, David Bowie, which if, I was like, who the hell is David Bowie, <laughs> you know? Um, and people say, you know, you look quite subversive and I look very kind of like cyberpunk, gothy kind of like, uh, yeah, just very, uh, you know, alternative, really. Well, what um, sort of year would this have been? Well, where are we now? So like, I know, like 2002, okay. uh, like so Because the club scene is a very, very forgiving and well, it can be a very forgiving and welcoming place. People perhaps who haven't immerse themselves fully in club culture. Yeah. Well, realise that you can really discover yourself in that in that 
sometimes. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, for me, coming from an ex, ex-mining town that didn't have any culture mm. whatsoever, I mean, um, I, I live a like a, a walk, you know, it's a good hour, hour and a half walk away from uh, Lord Byron's ancestral home. Mm. And uh, I'm completely obsessed with Byron. And that was that was my only kind of little bit of culture where right. I, I, came, I think it's fair to say there wasn't a lot of culture where I grew up. And not a lot happened. There wasn't no. a lot of aspirations. You know, I thought the best that I could hope for life was maybe one day buy my own council house. You know, we were not brought up to think that we could have anything from life. So for me to sneak into a nightclub at the age of 14 and, and cover my face in glitter and uh, take ecstasy and, and dance with beautiful people on a stage and listen to dance music, that was a revelatory experience. It was a transformative experience. Yeah. It's funny, I come from the opposite end of the social scale. I was very certain 10 years previously being at an all-boys monastic public school in the middle right. of North Yorkshire, right. discovering 1988 in Manchester. I spent the summer right. there as an, in a youth theatre. It was, it was, and I hadn't dealt with what you'd dealt with or felt as alienated as you felt, but it was, it was not dissimilar, that sudden yeah. sense of, oh, my Christ, the world is a million times bigger than I realised. Yeah. And, yeah. There, and there are people in it who I'm going to get on really, really well with who I didn't know existed last week. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I'd gone from, like, just being this pariah at school yeah. to like and dancing on a stage and everybody's like oh you're you've got a cool look you're interesting you're yeah. you're, you're you're beautiful you're we where are you from what are you yeah and and it was highly validating you know and I met some really cool interesting people and I thought these people accept me and actually think I'm I'm nice and and cool and, and fun to be around and and we had a laugh and I you know but my me and my friend Steffi, I, I you know we were wild. We used to we used to we and we were quite young. We were like fifteen, sixteen, and we used to skank the train to Birmingham or Manchester or or Leicester or wherever. And we we just went out looking like prostitutes, frankly. Um, and we'd spend all our money on drugs, and then we would have no way to get home. No, I mean honestly, the stories that I could tell. We got on train. We got kicked off in Melton Mowbray once um, because we tried to skank the train back, and they they kicked us off the train. And um, we just went and sat on a park and drank some cider. And then we befriended some people and they eventually got a, a lift back. And we just had so much fun. Vulnerable, though. You're putting yourselves but in vulnerable we situations. Were, we were vulnerable. Yeah, we didn't have boundaries, you know. And I, and it's, it's fun until it's not fun. Yes, right? of course. And I got in with quite a bad crowd. Um, I, I, as you know, I went to prison. Mm. I, I got involved with a robbery when I was 16. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I was a kid that, you know, just, I was reckless. I was, I was easily led. I was easily influenced. I was dating a guy who was a bit older than me. And uh, he said, you know, why don't we go and rob someone? I was having sex for money. I was Already? Having, I was having sex for money when I was 14, 15. Yeah. So, um, and... and th- but you've just, you've just presented me two completely different people there. There's you and Steffi on the train giggling and at the same time you're I mean having sex for money is at that age it, 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 it's not a free choice in the sense that perhaps it is when you're older I mean at that age it's a much more mm. serious legally mm. and not perhaps the behavior of someone who's happy so there's two Parises there and of course you won't even yeah. call Paris then there's two people well I, I was actually I were you already I, yeah I was, yeah Paris from quite a young age actually but um uh yeah, I mean, and you, almost your face changed as well. You're remembering one story, and then you suddenly remembered, oh, this was also the period in my life where I was having sex for money with grown men, despite not being a grown man myself, and and I got and I 
ended up in prison. Well, this stuff is really complicated. Of course, and, of course. And it's, it's interesting because at the time I felt like I was making a choice. Yes. And actually, I absolutely 100% support the right of adults to, uh, you know, work as sex workers yes. if that's a choice that they're making. And um, I think that there are many people who, you know, one of the arguments against it is that, you know, these people come from damaged backgrounds. And in my case, that does happen to be true. But right. actually, there are a lot of people that choose to do sex work for whatever reason. And I think that it should be safe and legal for them to do so if that's yes. a choice that they want to make. But, you know, clearly... But not, when, not, not when you're 14. Clearly, clearly at that age, you know, I, I might have thought I knew what I was doing, but I was an idiot, you know. And, yeah. well, you know, if I'm being kind to myself, I was... I was a vulnerable kid and I can look back on it. And it was a lot of fun, James. I'm not yeah, going to no, lie, you know. You. I'd, I'd I'd meet guys and, you know, those guys were pretty questionable and I'd get in a car with them and I'd go off and they'd take me and I felt like an adult. I felt like I'd got power for the first time in my life because I'd got something that they wanted and I was playing an adult game. But and you know, I'm hearing echoes here of some of the kids that were groomed. In the north of England, when you say that, well, well, yeah, but the, but the, but this this is it, you know, uh, that there are men, sadly, in our society that will take advantage of kids who are vulnerable for whatever reason, mm. kids who, uh, you know, may not feel close to their families that are, you know, I've I felt I I've you know I felt validated. I felt like these men want me. I have value to these people, yes. a monetary value. It's it's such a it's such a complex one because I've never thought of it like that. When I, you use the word value in the context of much much more than money, but in the absence of all the other ways of feeling valued, money is actually a currency in the most well, yeah, I mean, sense of the word, a currency of value. Somebody, you know, a guy coming up to me, an adult, yes. saying, "You're cute." You're nice. And me thinking, me, yeah. you know, who everybody at school says, Eight. oh, you puffed her. Yeah. We'd never go out with you. We don't yeah. want to, you know, it was validating. It was, and it was exciting. It, it, it was exciting. And it was abusive in the sense that I could, you know, of course it was wrong. And, and it was abusive from the sense that those men were wrong and they should have known better. But it wasn't abusive in the sense that it was traumatic or horrible you know yeah. um the the more trauma that i've experienced in my life has, has, has been you know when i transitioned yes. and yes. i had people abusing me in the streets and stuff but and that that that, that, that in, in your memory is 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 a much more traumatic experience than anything that happened i ended up in prison i was doing well, sex work about the first night in prison what was that because presumably this was utterly that that first night in prison i mean my my dad had made me watch the film Scum oh. when I was growing up. Right. I think maybe it's a warning of some so, sort. I thought, of I thought you were about to say the night before I arrived. <laughs> no, but I mean, but it is uh, for people who haven't seen it. It's an incredibly unrelenting and brutal account of of of, of Austal life in in sort of twenty years previous to where we are now in your life. Yeah, and I mean, it's a film that stays with you for right? sure. I'm the daddy now. Uh, it's uh, and and it's and it's 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 a really iconic film. You know, I you know had an idea of it, you know this is going to be bad, yeah. and I. I just couldn't stop crying. I, they they had to put me in the hospital wing for the first three nights, and I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and sobbed. It literally felt like the end of the world. I just thought, I cannot cope with this. How the hell am I going to cope with this? You know, oh, it was awful. It was just her. It was it was horrendous. And then they put me on the vulnerable uh, prisoners unit 
because, you know, uh, I think they were quite concerned about me. Um, and in many ways, there weren't quite as many rough lads on that wing, but, the, you know, it was prison, right? Yeah, of you course. know, um, so there was, uh, the, the, you know, there were a few, few rough lads on there. But, um, you know, there was a lot of suicide attempts and stuff. And, uh, you know, and you're people, still a kid. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was, it was weird. And I really tried my best to kind of conform. I couldn't even do it for you now. No. Uh, but I, I, I had like a kind of like what I thought was like my, my lad's voice. But it was just like, I think it, I must just say it must have been like the Eli- Eliza Doolittle trying to sound posh. You know, it's like, I mean, can, can you can you imagine me trying to sound like a boy? Not it, at this point. It just, it, 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 I don't know what I sounded like. But in the end, I think I think I kind of loosened up a little bit because I got on with all the screws. Um the, the prison staff um, and I, I ended up being uh, doing the laundry um, obviously woman's work um, I'll get torn apart for that it's, it's not woman's work I'm, I am joking um, so I, 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 I collected the laundry and everything and kept the laundry room clean and I took people's orders for food and everything so I actually had a little bit of power because mm. if I accidentally put your order down wrong you, you didn't get what you wanted at dinner time so and there was only so much of everything to go around so people would say well put me down for this put me so you had a little bit of and I think that when people realised that I wasn't a threat they liked me yeah. and, and I became their strange fruit yes. you know I was yes. a strange fruit but I yes. was I was there and it was kind of like you know uh, Leezy really you know, yeah, yeah leave Leezy alone you know? <laughs> and and can I say something to you of course I, this is this is the maddest thing ever but I have experienced more abuse by many measures by other transgender people right. or women purporting to be feminists yes. than I have heterosexual men. In prison. In, in prison, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I was treated better in prison by a bunch of, you know, young hoodlums yes. than I have by some of these disgusting people on the internet that just tweet abuse at me every single day relentlessly. Yes. And it's it's just it's just the most insane thing in the world to me. And I do think that it's, you know, if, if you spend time with somebody and you realise that they're not a threat to you, I mean, what's not to like? You know, and it's like, I made friends in there and and people said well you've changed my views about stuff and um it's it's really weird to me because this world is so complicated and things are not always as we might think that they would be and you think you're gonna go and you're gonna have a terrible time um in a in a in a weird way i felt safe yeah in prison that's what i'm picking up that there's something about i, I was expecting this to go in a completely different direction. No, I, I, I don't. I don't actually regret going there. There was something about that because in an institution like that, it feels bigger than you. So you feel held, you feel contained. And I remember the way that the, the, the radiators used to rattle at night. And there's something there's something about like being in a school, mm. you know, or or the NHS, an NHS hospital. Yeah, an institution. The, an institution there's something about it being the smell of the floor polish. The, 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 smell, the, of, yeah. the smell of the smell of the floor polish and, and, and the kind of the, the rust on the bolts on the door. And, yes. and there's just something very kind of earthy and this sense of you're all in there and you're contained and and somebody else is is responsible for your well being. So yes. it's you've almost sort of ceded control to something bigger than yourself. And and in many 
ways, there's something quite comforting about that because this world is really complicated. Sure. And, uh, you know, it, it's really anxiety inducing. We don't know what to do and we don't know what, you know, and I think as a society we're experiencing this, but when you were in prison, you knew what your problem was. Your problem was that you were in prison and yes. it was very simple. You knew what the solution was. The solution was your release date. Time, get out. You know, yeah, so, yeah. And it, it takes was, away a lot of the extraneous. It takes away a lot of that fear. noise noise in your head. Yeah, and, I get that, actually. And, and and it's the same as what you mentioned when you talk about the, the rust on the locks and the... Uh, it's It was like that before you arrived. It will be like that after you leave. So there's a yeah. weird stability yes, yeah. attached and to it. Yes, yeah. And I've never had that. No, which you yeah. hadn't had before in your life. Yeah. Isn't that strange? It is very strange. And yet, hearing you explain it, it, it makes perfect sense. And And speaking of decisions, it was shortly after getting out of prison that you decided you would to move to university and you were going to start living as a girl. Yeah, so it was in it was in prison really that I realized cuz I'd always thought, you know, I'm just I'm just somebody I'll just dress up at the weekends yeah. and that's fine, you know. And actually it was having my female identity suppressed so wholly in prison that I was just like I am so unhappy not being able to express mm. that side of my identity. It it, it is profound. You know, it's, it's, I have to, I, I, I'm Again, to... because all the other noise had gone, you're yeah. addressing this yeah. fundamental part of you. Yeah. Uninterrupted, un, un... Yeah. This is me stripped bare. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what I look like or anything, but there's a part of me that wants to shave my armpits. Yeah. And I, and I did. And I know that, you know, shaving your armpits doesn't make you a woman. And there are women who don't shave their armpits. I'm not saying that women have to do that, but... I wanted to look or feel or, or or be more feminine. I wanted to express something that said that I was feminine and mm. made made me feel feminine, you know, in the way that women in our culture do. Yes, 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 you know? yes, yes, yes. Um, or you know, a lot of a lot of women do, and I couldn't explain that. I, I I couldn't explain that. I couldn't explain why having hair on my legs made me feel uncomfortable. But I, you realised in prison... I realised in prison. You couldn't live part-time you know, anymore. Because I couldn't see anybody. So it's like, what did it matter? But yeah. I used to I used to, yeah, I used to, pluck yeah, my course. eyebrows at night. I used to pluck them and I used to steal chalk from paint, art therapy, <laughs> uh, steal chalk from, from art classes. And I'd, I'd crush the chalk up and I'd put makeup on, on, my, on my face. Because there was this desperate need to express myself. Being a woman isn't about wearing makeup. That's not what I'm saying. No, you know? I understand. Of, you know, if I'm not doing something like this, I often go out of the house with no makeup yeah, on. Yeah. And I find that very liberating, yes. actually. And I feel very lucky as a trans woman to be able to do that and touch wood, you know, get away with it. But, but it's not, it was about, I needed to see myself as a woman. Yes. And I, I can't explain it in any other way. And, and that's when I knew, I've got to do this, you know. And then I came out and... and you see, when I was in prison, you kind of feel like you've got the the weight of, you know, if we kind of picture society as a kind of um, like a pyramid, like the queen at the top. Yes. You know, that's how I pictured it as a, as a teenager. And you've got prison at the bottom. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I just thought like, no matter what, what you do or say or rationalise it, unless you've been falsely convicted of something... If you're in prison, it's because you fucked up, right? General rule. I yeah, think you know, you've, yeah. You've, you've made some pretty poor choices, you know. <laughs> and you, you, I think if you, you kind of have to take a long, hard look at yourself, don't you, and say, babe, you're in prison, you know? <laughs> There's no spin it, here. You, <laughs> you, you, you need to... Yeah. Something's got to change, you yeah. know? Like, this, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is not working. Did you know you were clever when you were young? I just... 
I was... Because <laughs> you're speaking now about emotional literacy. There's clearly a, a, a very strong intellectual literacy. It wasn't well. so much that I was clever. It just that I've, I've, I, I, was, I was very much aware of... I, I felt that the people around me weren't, you know? Oh, of course. Like, yes, um, no. So it's, it's relative a, to what your experience... I, I, don't, I don't mean... I don't mean that in it. In it, in it, in it you know, it's not no, about I know being you better than anybody, but I just... There just wasn't a lot of, you know, the, we, 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 I can't, I'm, it's, it was, there just wasn't a lot of culture. You know, people, people that I know didn't read books or go oh, to Oxford okay. and Cambridge and things like that. We don't, we don't go but, but to. The, but clearly a lot of people in prison don't have that dialogue that you have. And that, that, that that's an intellectual as well as an emotional thing to say, babe, look can't carry on like this you can't get back onto that particular bus well pe- people always people always told me that I was I was clever mm. uh, my family always told me that I was clever and I, I did well at school probably not as well as I could have done sure yeah, um, a few distractions but I did I, I I think when I was in there there was I had a vision of who I wanted to be right. and just stupid little things like um I wanted to not smoke yeah. you know and I wanted to get my a levels done and I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that and it sounds really really stupid now but back then it almost felt insurmountable I just thought right. I don't know if I can do it, yeah, I did, it, it you know I just thought I've, I've gone so far off the tracks yes. I've fallen down on the wrong side of things and yes. I don't know if I can pick myself back up How again did you pull it off maybe I'm just going to be a ne'er-do-well, you know, because a lot of people do end up like that in my yes, hometown. And, yeah, and that's early. it. It and starts it, very early. Then that's your life. Yeah. You're yeah, just yeah, a good yeah. for nothing, mm. you know. And it's it's sad. But I thought, you know, I, I've got the brains to go to college. And I, as soon as I came out, I enrolled at college. They let me out early on a curfew, on a tag. Okay. Um, so I've been on tag. Uh, and they let me out just before... Before it was cool. Before it was... Well, <laughs> I was instrumental in making it cool. Um, they, they let me out so I could go to college. I, I went to college... Um, I got my curfew extended and I went to work in a call centre doing telesales, which obviously suited me down to the ground because mm. I've got the gift of the gab. Um, and you can be whoever you want to be. And you can be whoever you want to be. Well, they are, people often do think I was a, a girl on the phone. Yeah. Um, which is I did telesales with someone who called herself Raquel Walsh. <laughs> and, it, and it worked. She, 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 okay. she used to make more commission than the rest of us. Well, I, I, I made a lot of commission, I, I have to say, did. and I applied myself at college and I got my life back on track. But you were now living as a woman. No, did, I wasn't. Right, I was a very okay. androgynous boy. This is still doing your A-levels This now. is still doing your A-levels. And I used to go to college and people would say, Chichi man, batty man. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, I'd, 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 I'd get abuse and I just thought, I can't, I can't do this here. I and, I, and it was really frustrating because at that stage I knew that I, I, I really wanted to be. So I had about a year while I, I've, I completed my, sure. my A-levels of like knowing and being really jealous of all the girls at college. You know, and I remember my friends saying, you know, you just look like a really tall girl and thinking, oh, this is great. You yeah, know, so very sort of like gender non-conforming, yes, shall okay. we say. Um, I'll have to fish out a, a photo of that one time. It was, uh, <laughs> shocking, really. Uh, but um, but I knew that I wanted, but I just, it just didn't feel safe Wrong, wrong time, wrong place. Wrong. Cracked on, got your A-levels, got into Brighton. Well... I, I was waiting for my A-level results and my grandma died. Mm. And I absolutely, because my mum had been very young when she had me. My mum was 17 when she had me and my grandma was 17 when she had my mum. So my grandma pretty much brought me up, um, you know, was, was, a, was, was a mother figure to me. And she died just as I was waiting for my A-level results. And it was when she died that I thought... This is it, you know. Right. Life's too short. I've I've got to be myself, you know. So there was this huge period of change where my grandma died. I transitioned. I got rid of the last of my boys' clothes, 
and I moved to a completely different city, you know, different people. Um, I didn't feel safe enough to go and live in student halls because of the great shame. I didn't want people to know that I was trans. Okay. And I still because, had... Because of things like showers and toilets. And... Yeah, and I didn't want people to see me with no makeup on. You know, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have dreamed of taking the, the rubbish bags out without a full face of makeup on. Yeah. At that point, I was okay. so insecure. I had facial hair. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't terrible, but it was no. enough that yeah. if I was at a house party... You know, I'd want to go Wake home. I would, yeah, well, I wouldn't. I, that's the thing. I, yeah. I'd always go home before. Yeah. Um, and just just stupid things like, you know, I was really paranoid about my height or if I laugh or yeah, anything, you know, because, no, no, you know, there might be little things that people might pick up on and read that I'm trans. And I just thought I need to be on my own. And so, therefore, I was doing the sex work to fund that. And actually, I made myself quite isolated. Right. But um, everybody who sort of knew you but didn't know you thought you were a woman yeah well I mean it's a funny one all of this because actually I I looked very feminine yeah. when I first transitioned but I would occasionally get abuse in the streets sometimes right. so it was maybe I think I was passing as female 70 80% of the time okay um maybe 90% of the time sometimes but you know it, it it, it it wasn't a hundred percent of the time, yeah. and I would get people in the street, and I could go months without it happening, but then people would say, "You used to be a bloke," or you know, "You fucking tranny," or something. You know, people just think yeah, that if course. they see a transgender Public person in the street, it's okay to abuse yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. In the same way that you know, we say we live in this this supposedly liberal society now, but it's not okay for two men to walk down the street holding hands. Maybe in parts of London, I've mm, seen it, but, but not most streets. But, but not most streets. And for people who are visibly trans and who don't blend in, um, you know, in terms of having a conventional gender presentation. Yes. It's not safe to walk down the street. No, clearly. I've got friends who get abused every single time they leave their house. So how is that okay? You know, that that's not a... How is this a civilised society if, if people don't feel safe to walk down the street? And I know what it feels like to not feel safe walking down the street. So I'd had old shit for years. You know, people say, you're a puffer. When I lived with my grandma on the council estate, I, I was scared on my cul-de-sac. That people, oh, you're gay, aren't you? You take it up the arse. So then it that had shifted and then it became, oh, you're a man, aren't you? I bet you've got a cock. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that so many of the experiences of trans people do... Uh, there are parallels with the gay experience because Clearly. it's it's like, for, for instance... But that, that should give you hope. We're going to run out of time and I feel that we've got hours left. OK. But that should give you hope because the there's two things that occur to me. First is that we've come on in leaps and bounds in how we talk about and treat gay people. So theoretically, trans people should follow. And the second thing that always occurs to me when you tell me about the people who do the abuse and even, you know, some household names on social media say pretty vile things yeah. and, and refuse to let you be you. They, they, yeah. they tell you that... I don't just mean Jermaine Greer saying you don't get to be a woman just by chopping your dick off, which mm. is her turn of phrase. But I also mean people who just refuse to accept that there's anything other than a binary condition here and why would anybody choose to live as you have lived as long as people like that exist that's the thing that always always confuses me and it's the same with 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 people who still insist that being gay is a lifestyle choice as long as you get killed for it mm. as long as you get beaten up for it as long as you get attacked for it well, surely everyone can see nobody makes this choice lightly and and, and in an ideal world you, you'd be the person who didn't have this huge target painted on their well, face yeah 
I, it just for anybody to think, I mean, I mean, yeah, wouldn't it be great not to have had to have dealt with all of this stuff? Precisely. Yeah, definitely. But I think you're absolutely right to draw the comparison with, with the way that gay people were treated because we had all of this in the 80s, didn't we? You yes. know, with people saying, you know, we've got to protect children. It's all yes. dressed up as concern for children. Always is. Wasn't it? Which Whereas children are the least judgmental people on the planet the, the least judgmental people on the planet and you know the, and then it was you know people saying well we've got religious concerns yes. you know and, and now it's you know well, well I've got to it's, it's my feminist belief kind yeah. of thing and so it's sort of dressed up and it's 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 passed off as being respectable whereas actually I, I think that what it boils down to a lot of the time is just a very visceral prejudice I don't like this I feel a bit icky around it it's weird the fear of the unknown it's fear of the unknown and I, I think that we'll get over it and I think that the, the great thing is that you know you, you, you can't win an argument against the young right and no. most of the people that we've come out are just saying this really kind of old fashioned bigoted stuff they're in their 70s and their 80s and you you know, I am going to go there, James. You yeah. know, it's like Salman Rushdie came and said something really stupid recently. And he's like, you know, I think he's he's in his 70s. Um, uh, Professor Robert Winston says something ridiculous. He's in his 70s. Jermaine Greer is in her, I think she's in her 80s now. You know, like um, Barry Humphreys. Like all these it's just like every single week it's like prominent old person yes. comes up with their oh-so-important opinion about But they're telling you that they understand people. your experience in a way that you don't. That's the thing I find so so staggering. Well, they've, they've, they've had these really important uh, opinions about transgender people that they've been keeping secret for the past 60 years. Yes. And it's like, oh, right, oh, thank you for telling us now. It's like you weren't even aware that trans people existed as anything other than a joke up until about five minutes ago. Right. But now it's like, now you've got, now you now we've got to hear your, your and actually, it's just, it's it's just like, what are we, is it, it's, and they're all really posh as well. So that, and it's for people who just think like, like their opinions matter and they, they don't know what they're talking about. You are talking to a phone in host Paris there is a, a posh phone in host the idea that our opinions don't matter could be very difficult for me to process well you know um, everyone's entitled to their own opinion about trans people but they're not entitled to their own facts which is the most important thing Bingo. and 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 you know there's so much misinformation out there but actually if you look at younger people and this is what absolutely gives me hope I don't think and even just people in the sort of like 40s and 50s that I, I don't think they realize quite how out of step they are with no, younger people I think you're right like I think in, you're right in the same way that you know anybody under the age of 35 now I mean yes. who, you know I'm sure there are homophobes out there still of course there are but sure. it's like the majority of people it doesn't matter if you're gay no Everybody's and this is partly what they were so frightened of by bringing it into schools and by refusing to um, yeah. you know bow to the calls for yeah. how dare you suggest that there's nothing wrong being gay because yeah. some old people thought that somehow it would become contagious if you yeah. taught young children um, I've really enjoyed this, but we're going to have to do another one. We, we are going to have to do it because we haven't talked about so much we, stuff. We but, I've... but I wanted to learn out more about you because I think for people who aren't, um, well, just for people who are confused but decent, people who, who yeah. maybe have odd and views. And there's a lot of people like that as well. I like you to know. think almost everybody is, yeah. like, is yeah. like that. They need, to, so. they need to meet you, not, not here yet, I felt. What, what you think about a multiplicity of issues. I just wanted them to meet you and they have. Oh, I'm really thank glad. You. Well, thanks for having me. No, thank you. <laughs> And uh, I'm joined now by Rich, the producer of Unfiltered, to discuss uh, the, the latest interview that you've just heard with Paris Lees. And that, I think we've said a few times, I could have carried on for hours, but that's the first time we really have tried to put a quart into a pint pot, isn't it? Yeah, that was difficult. I mean, <laughs> like, I was... Almost every month of her life is fascinating and, yeah. and potentially kind of headline -y. Well, we were saying this before, but like, we're going to have to do like a part two, aren't we? Yes, because we really are. 
because it was getting towards like, Paris had to shoot off and do something else yeah. after this, and it was getting towards five minutes. It's like, man, we haven't even got to like the other half of she's her not, life. She's not into adulthood yet. She's literally in the in the final year of her teens. Yeah, but I think she's got a book coming out later this year, so we should yes. get her back in and find out the the, the second half actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. of her life. But I didn't want to stop her or, or push her in a different direction because every single thing is. It's, just, it's a word that feels a little soft, but it's educational, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Um, and you sort of think you know about this kind of thing, but then, uh, like you said in the interview, like you, unless you've lived that life, you can't really no. fully understand what it's like. Um, so hopefully we've given people a bit of a window into that. Yeah. Um, which, which, which the first, I mean, there's no point having a mind if you never change it and, and having a look at the world through somebody else's eyes um if that doesn't validate their existence then then to be honest nothing will absolutely so when can we do part two? Oh well let's wait and see how busy she is <laughs> she'd be too busy now <laughs> too busy for us <laughs> you're listening to unfiltered with james o'brien brought to you by joe